Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. And welcome to another episode of What's the Crack? Rob's back, but we've <laughs> lost Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay's preparing for her Viva exam for a PhD. So instead, today we are joined by Dr. Sadie Boniface, a researcher at the National Addiction Centre with us. Sadie, could you tell us what you do in one sentence, please? Yes, so I'm a postdoc at the National Addiction Centre and I work on a few different trials of psychosocial interventions to reduce drinking. So that's perfect for today's episode because today's episode is on minimum unit pricing of alcohol. Um, (laughs) uh, We'll discuss why it's been in the media, what it is, and the predicted level of effectiveness of the policy. And we're also going to have an interview with a health economist, uh, Sarah Roberts. So as a brief introduction, minimum unit pricing uh, has been in the media sporadically over the past five years as it's an alcohol policy that's been trying to be introduced in Scotland. And it means that alcohol cannot be sold under minimum unit pricing, hence the name. Uh, And in Scotland's case, it's 50p per unit. And a unit is about one single measure of a 37% spirit or about half a pint of a 4% lager. Am I right? Yes, that's very right. Sure. Sure, definitely. (laughs) Definitely right. Um, So this limit um, would not affect prices in like pubs or restaurants. It would more affect the sales in uh, off-license or supermarkets and for the cheaper um, alcohol such as like cider. Is it, it do people abbreviate it to MUP? I hope they do. I hope as soon as they get introduced, people like blend it. So they're like, can we have the MUP date? of the news <laughs> or other ones that I'm, I'm, I'm willing to introduce I, I, I need some updates on this I need some updates what's happening can we coin this government yeah we... shotgun <laughs> <laughs> it's ours it's ours yeah so it hasn't been implemented yet uh, because it's been through some quite a few challenges by the Scotch Whiskey Association so it was originally introduced into government in May 2012, set to be implemented if it was without any challenges in 2013. Um, But the Scotch Whiskey Association um, challenged it and took it to the Court of Justice of the European Union. The European Union said, yeah, it's fine, MUP can go ahead. Then, uh, and then what did Swa say to that? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Swa. Swa then took it to the Scottish Courts and the Scottish Courts said, yeah, 
totally fine. Mop's fine. Okay. Um, and now we're at the UK. Is that right, Sadie? Yeah, so then the latest update, which is just going to use, December use the 2016, the latest Mop day, is that SWA, Scottish <laughs> Whiskey Association, have said... No, we're not happy about that. And they've now appealed to the UK Supreme Court. So it's been sort of like, been all around the houses. It's been really drawn out. Okay. Oh, and what's, what, what are Swar's objections? Is it- they, there's been various different claims that have been made over time. So one of the things that's been said is, oh, it's not going to be effective, so don't do it. Okay. And some of the other things that have been said is that it's illegal and to do with barriers to trade, I think, which is why yeah, you know, Scottish yeah. Risky Association don't do this. Like, it's bad for our economy, it's bad for the country, however much money like for Scotland there is every year and stuff like that. Okay. So they have a right to trade on a on a free and open market and this restricts Yes, their... yeah, that's it's it. to do with that and, okay. it, you know, why should Scotland have this and not everywhere else, I think is part of the argument. But and one it, of the things that the European court said when they sent sent it back to Scotland is to investigate what they call I think in legal terms is like proportionality. Okay. That basically means like why why can't you do this through increasing taxes? So then they had to then prove that you won't get the same results through increasing taxes alone. So so then a year later that was that was met, that was all proven and then that's when the Scottish Whiskey Association have now appealed again against the new decision. Oh, so, so like increasing taxes would be a fairer way of doing it. It would be proportional across all the people earning different money. It would proportionally mm. affect people buying hundreds of pounds bottles yeah, of wine as well as... Yeah, affecting the idea being that, the oh, it must be the poorest people drinking the cheapest alcohol, which okay. in a way it is, but it's also... Like, strong white cider in Scotland is almost exclusively drunk by dependent drinkers. Yeah. So... So it doesn't matter how much money they've got, they should probably be drinking less. So, mm. so if it helps mm. p- uh, people drink less, it's a, a win anyway. Yeah, right? it will reduce health yeah. inequality. Because one of the arguments yeah. against uh, minimum unit pricing and for a, a better tax system is because if it's a pr- taxes are raised, then the government will get that extra money, whereas with minimum unit pricing, it'll go to the retailers. Okay. So that's the there's, that, there's an argument for against minimum unit pricing because then it's yeah like the government getting it instead of Tesco. So it's uh, so like there's a bit of a, a trade off between what's going to be fair or proportional and what's going to be effective. So you can have something that's like socially fairer that affects everyone, but actually it's not going to be as effective on those like dependent drinkers who are the people who this is targeted at. Well, it must be um, projected to work or else they won't be kicking up as much fuss because <laughs> <laughs> they've taken to all these courts how much money in legal fees they must yeah. have paid to try and stop it and like yeah. and obviously the retailer would make more money if it was implemented as a Scotch Whiskey Association and all other uh, retailers would make money but the loss must be projected to be greater than the increase in cost that they're going to get mm-hmm. is and that I right? Also, a method of thinking? Yeah, yeah I'm also interested in on who Scotch Whiskey Association are kind of operating on behalf of here because I don't know what whiskey is cheaper than 50p a unit. Mm. Like, not very much, oh, none. Um, well, I think there's something, there is something interesting there about uh, what you're saying about who they're operating on behalf of. There was the, it's, it's like the tobacco thing, if there's restrictions on trade to tobacco, as there's been lots of, you know, with, um, uh, with uh, images on the packs with minimum pricing and tax and all of these things. That if it there's this kind of theory that if the tobacco industry objects to it, then we must be onto something good, and I wonder if there's something else going on with that with uh, with the alcohol thing. 
And I think the Scotch Whiskey Association are in a better position to oppose things like minimum unit pricing, being like based in Scotland, we're a Scottish industry mm. and things like that, rather than like a giant multinational company yeah. objecting. Yeah. It looks more questionable. Yeah, yeah, that, that, make, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, you can get more sympathy with Soir than you can with, uh, <laughs> with big tobacco conglomerates. I think whatever's happened, they've delayed it wonderfully like they've managed what is it five years yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, 2012 to 2017 yeah Yeah. so i think yeah and it looks like it's going to be implemented if it if it if the uk courts win against swa then it should be implemented in scotland yeah i think there's a decision expected like towards the end of this year was one of the things i read Mm. recently so it seems that like each time it gets sent somewhere else it's another year added on so. Which is a hell of a lot of money to be made in that year. Yeah, quick, yeah. break it in on yeah. your cheap drinks for you That was written <laughs> on the cider, <laughs> not the whiskey. Yeah. Uh, it says one take-home message from this particular podcast. Is hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, with a delay, talking about the delay, there was an open letter from Alcohol Focus Scotland signed by, like, 14 other um, organisations and individuals saying, like, in the time that you've taken to do your legal action, uh, you could have prevented hundreds of Scots dying or being injured due to the result of their alcohol intake. Yeah, it's really good. It brings us on to some of the stuff about effectiveness that we'll talk about later. It does. Because it's based on all different types of evidence, and some of it's modelling. So that's obviously, they don't know how many people would have died from yes. drinking alcohol at this price compared with whatever price. But that's an estimate. It's pretty very it's pretty good, it's pretty close. Speaking of modelling, oh, economic modelling, yeah. we've got an interview with Sarah Roberts and Lindsay, who isn't actually here today, she did an interview with Sarah Roberts, so she's like she's here in spirit. And Sarah can explain economic modelling a hell of a lot better than we can. So interview begin. So, um, Sarah, do you want to just give me a kind of one-sentence summary of what it is you do now? Uh, so I am a public health economist, and I do mostly work here on trials and on my PhD project, which is on personality disorder treatment in the prison service. Okay. But I used to build models for NICE, and one of those models was a return on investment alcohol model. How helpful. How helpful. For the topic of our podcast. I know. And could you also just give me a one-sentence summary of what is health economics? So health economics, in the most broad sense, is whether whether things are cost-effective, so whether it's giving good value to the health service. So you can have a drug that is or a treatment that is very expensive, but if it's also very good, it's sort of the ratio between those two things ends up being positive for the health service so we tend to use something called a quali a quality adjusted life year uh, but we can use sort of anything if in the case of alcohol so the number of units prevented number of deaths from alcohol prevented and the cost of achieving that and so the ratio between those two things would give us sort of the cost effectiveness of a treatment and so that is a lot of what we do mm-hmm. okay and so the idea of minimum unit pricing is something that comes from health economics is that right uh, so I don't know whether it comes from uh, health economics, but it is a sort of the new thing that's being pushed as the solution to Britain's alcohol problem. So we currently have a ban on the 
sale of alcohol below cost price, where cost price is the duty or the tax that goes to the government and the VAT, which is obviously another tax goes to the government. So essentially, it's the cost of tax, which for a bottle of wine is about £2.50. And for one of those big three litre bottles of sort of Frosty Jack cider is approximately £2. So minimum unit pricing instead makes would make it so that the price of alcohol would be dependent on how strong it was. So for a bottle of wine, of around 10 units per bottle so at the moment that would be so currently that would be about £2.50 under minimum unit pricing that would be about £5 but for something like the big bottle of cider that's currently retailing for £3.50 under minimum unit pricing that would be £10.50 so that's where we see the big difference. So minimum unit pricing really hits that um, at the moment super strong but also cheap alcohol. Yeah it's sort of the, the alcohol at the intersection of Cheap, strong, and high volume is where you su- you see the big impact. Um, that's mostly drunk by people who are poor, people who are on the really uh, extreme scale of the of alcoholism, and so that is that is where the impact would be seen. So when people who are health economists are saying we're going to bring this policy in and we it's going to have these impacts in the mm. population. How do they make those predictions? Health economics is kind of a secondary kind of analysis. So we take evidence from randomised control trials, from published from the published literature, uh, and then we then we synthesise it all together in order to sort of answer a question and solve a problem. So in the case of my alcohol model, which um, and so this was for the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. Nice, Excellent, nice. Nice, nice. National Institute of Health and Clinical Excellence. There's a silent H in there mm. now. So I did some work for Nice, which was uh, putting together a sort of a model that brought together all of their alcohol guidance from the 15 years since they sort of started at the time when I was doing my uh, model, and that so that's on sort of treatment for alcoholism, interventions to get people drinking less pulled all of that together and built one big sort of master model that all of these could work through, um, which looked at um, health, crime, accidents, productivity, so people working, and uh, school impact impact on learning. I've done some analysis. Have you? That I've prepared earlier. Prepared some analysis. I've prepared some analysis because it's designed, the model is designed to help local decision makers. Let's pretend that we're the local decision makers for Southwark. And we're uh, looking at whether we should bring... Well, well, let's say the government's bringing minimum unit pricing. What would that mean for us in Southwark? So it would affect just under 1,000 people um, out of the 230,000 people who live in Southwark. So we wouldn't expect minimum unit pricing to affect all that many people in terms of them coming from dangerous drinking to healthy levels of drinking. So we would say that there are healthcare savings of about 117,000 in the, in the first year and about half a million in the fifth year. Keeping with five years, we'd say about two million in terms of productivity. So that's people getting into work, half a million pound reduction in Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. 
From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Crime so that the impact of crime upon people uh, and a £300 million reduction in accidents. Mm -hmm. And I had to go and check that number because I was like, that does not look right. But no, it's right. In, in Suffolk alone? No, in the country. In the country. Okay. Over five years. I did think that was huge. It is <laughs> huge. And that's things like getting hit by a car, being in a car and hitting someone, uh, choking on your vomit, falling over. One of the categories is air and space incidents. That's apparently very low in Suffolk. <laughs> Not sure where that came from, but it's one of the categories from, well, the, from so, the MOJ. So we know that this is a really comprehensive model. It's, it's really taken into account. It takes in everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're, what you've done is you've put together a model based on existing research. You've made a system that means that you can put in the details for an area and say, if we bought in this policy, if alcohol prices went up, then these are the impacts that we'd see in costs. Is that right? It's not that detailed. Mm. It could be that detailed. So a lot of that part of the model is based off the Sheffield alcohol policy model, which is the main model in the UK. I mean... But so health economics is the process of um, creating a simulation of uh, what would happen if we changed um, this policy and what effect that would have on costs. Yeah, it's looking at the the health economics is very much about the relationship between costs and benefits. So it's not if somebody comes to a health economist and says, I want to, can you tell me where to make the most cuts in my health system? We'll be like, we can't help you. Don't Mm. really know how to do that. We're about where you spend your money the most effectively over the next x years or x months or whatever for this quality this quality adjusted life year which is our main sort of outcome and so minimum unit pricing i would imagine is quite a low cost intervention for the government yes so that is why you've got those huge numbers of the savings that you'd have yeah and actually in my model because the local governments have no there's no cost to them for implementing minimum unit pricing in my model it's down as being free because it's something that's imposed, it's sort of in the background. I don't think minimum unit pricing would be free, certainly wouldn't be free to the government, because there would be enforcement costs and advertising. But overall, it's something which, from modelling, suggests could have huge cost-saving benefits and benefits to the health of the population. Yes. It's also, it's not necessarily the be-all and end-all, like there are other considerations to be brought in. Like, for example, it looks like even though it has a big overall population-level impact, it's not a population-level impact. It's an impact on these uh, specific types of alcohol, which are drunk mostly by poor people, So, mm. and infecting the poor disproportionately compared to the rich, because the rich have got loads of money, and so an extra 40p on their unit would, wouldn't really get in the way. Wouldn't even touch them. Wouldn't even touch them. Mm. Um Thank you for that rundown of minimum unit pricing. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Okay, so that was the interview with Sarah Roberts with Lindsay interviewing. Thank you, Lindsay, from afar. Um, So we'll move from there and talk about the actual effectiveness of the policy, um, which Sarah has set up quite nicely with her modelling. So, Sadie, you've done some work on this. What is the effectiveness (laughs) Yeah, so I'm by no means claiming to be an expert in the area of minimum unit pricing. I do mainly other types of research on alcohol, but I've done some... Why are you here? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing quite a bit of reading about 
the evidence for minimum unit pricing mm -hmm. recently and looking at all the different types of study that's been done. So a lot of the work I do is working on randomised controlled trials and obviously for minimum unit pricing it'd be very difficult to do one. Yeah. It'd be difficult to randomise like individuals or like certain areas of a country to have minimum pricing and to not and then see what happens. Because sure so, you could just go over the border and... Well, the, the imaginary border of this trial and buy alcohol somewhere else. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. So it wouldn't, even if you did try and do it, it wouldn't work. So because that kind of evidence, which is usually kind of seen as the, the best kind of stuff to get, mm. best kind of evidence that there is, isn't really, doesn't exist, probably isn't feasible, you have to kind of look to other types of studies. So I've been doing some reading about, there's a huge amount of um, work that's been done by the Sheffield team doing econometric modelling which is, is what use, Sarah's yeah. been talking about okay um, but then there's loads of other things too that are kind of relevant so there's kind of <laughs> there was some, uh, I saw uh, relatively recently there were some qualitative studies talking to um, uh, homeless street drinkers and it was in a borough I think it was a London borough uh, where they introduced not minimum unit pricing but something quite similar um, where they'd raised the price of really really cheap drink and they, they spoke to people about how it had affected um, and there was some, there was some, was some really really interesting stuff like you were saying like uh, some of the uh, dependent homeless drinkers had just gone to another borough some of them were like okay well now I have to walk 10 miles but got to do what you got to do and there were some really uh, really really peculiar um, outcomes to this one where as not necessarily as a result but this one person who was in this borough who was like a homeless street drinker their use of butane had gone up since the price of alcohol had gone up because it was he was using both and well alcohol had become more expensive and so he ended up using more butane so just switching from one to another yeah which you know it's the kind of thing that that's difficult to pull out in uh, in economic modeling and, and things it's a really weird mm. detail what I feel like if a minimum unit pricing gets implemented, yes, alcohol will go down, but butane sales will go through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting that. This is probably uh, a single very extreme case, but um, I thought it was interesting. Mm, unintended yeah. kind of consequences yeah. of mm. something like that, that you can have the best model and take into account all different types of survey data, all different things, but then there's always going to be weird quirks, I guess, that you aren't yeah. going to predict. Yeah, yeah. But what other evidence is there? Yeah, so as well as all of the modelling studies that have been done, like there's most of it's been done by the Sheffield group, but then there's some other bits and pieces too. Mm -hmm. um, and then smaller scale sort of cross-sectional qualitative studies that have been done. That um, <laughs> There's also been quite a few different natural experiments that have been done. So mostly natural in Canada, where they have minimum pricing for okay. alcohol. So across Canada, something like 10 different provinces and... It works slightly differently in all of them, but I think nine of them have some type of minimum price for alcohol okay. already. And in some, it's been in place for quite a long time, and it works in different ways. So rather than being a minimum price per unit, sometimes it's like a minimum price for a litre of wine or a litre of spirit without taking into account the, the strength, like the yeah. ABV of that drink. So it's slightly different to what's proposed here. Um, most of the studies that have been done are rather than comparing one province with another, it's sort of within a province looking at what's happening over time. Okay. So over time they've hiked up the minimum prices and they're looking at what happens after that. And then the evidence from Canada is generally showing that it's pretty effective in reducing consumption and also harm. 
so like uh, I remember when uh, so I went to Canada this is a long time ago um, um, but you could only buy alcohol from uh, like government outlets there weren't off licenses and news agents where you could buy alcohol and they were closed on um, you know, evenings and Sundays and it was just on a Sunday we wanted a bottle of wine or something and we genuinely couldn't find one we had to eat out <laughs> in a restaurant so that we could get a bottle of wine Brits Not, we just were, wanted to get smashed we, on a Sunday yeah. <laughs> we were going to eat anyway we weren't <laughs> we weren't just I had to eat with my <laughs> oh drinking. god I hate having to eat with, with my, my food alcohol. <laughs> this is, was it with my alcohol yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But there was a different drinking culture. Um, and I think there's a, there's a lot to be said about interventions that work in one set of drinking cultures that wouldn't necessarily work in another. And, you know, you look at the Mediterranean drinking culture and all those yeah. things. Yeah, definitely. I don't think we can say because a 10% increase in minimum price in this province in Canada led to, I don't know, whatever, a 6% fall in hospital admissions or something, mm-hmm. that exactly the same thing is going to be the case here. And that's why there are all this other stuff that's modelling and everything else is being done, I guess. But... Mm. Um, it does, I think, show that minimum pricing holds some promise mm. and that it's probably going to work at least a bit, is what I would say I've learned overall yeah. <laughs> from my reading. <laughs> Great reading. <laughs> and would you say that we can use, uh, we can use Scotland as an example? Yeah, as so in for England, as in would England mm-hmm. there or Wales or Northern Ireland be kind of waiting because Scotland's been going through these changes. Are they like, I guess, going to wait until at least we see some effectiveness of minimum unit pricing before England go, yeah, yeah, we always thought it was a great idea. Yeah, we're, we're on board now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that Scotland, again, is different than England and different countries. It's going to be a slightly different situation. But I think that if minimum unit pricing did work in Scotland and did have some effects it would make a really good case for doing it in England and other countries too I guess I think there might be a bit of like waiting and seeing and Mm. it definitely strengthens the case for like people who are for minimum unit pricing to kind of put pressure on the government to pick up the policy again that's kind of fallen off the agenda after the alcohol strategy in 2012 Mm. The government alcohol strategy, which was for the whole of Britain or the UK in 2012, with the change from the coalition government to the conservative Mm. majority government 2015, um, it's kind of not really been talked about anymore. And if you go on like the gov.uk website where the alcohol strategy is based, there's a big header at the top of the webpage which says, it says (laughs) this was published under the coalition government from 2010 to 15, like not my problem kind of thing so <laughs> almost it seems to be like a disclaimer um, which is interesting so and it's yeah there's been things happening in Scotland I think there's been like things talked about in Northern Ireland and stuff like that but England there's been not a lot of movement since the alcohol strategy and did, I don't know whether is it Sarah said or we've already discussed at another podcast <laughs> um that the uh, effectiveness will be seen quite quickly. So it's not as if the case that uh, MUP will be introduced um, in 2018 and we'd have to wait till 2025 before we see savings in the NHS. Isn't it the case that it will be quite rapid? Yeah, I think most of the evidence suggests that it will be sort of the one or two years after the policy is implemented and minimum pricing starts. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff will start to happen, but then some stuff will be much later down the line, Mm -hmm. like, 
I don't know, maybe mortality will be later down the line, but yeah. like reductions in crime or accidents accidents be a lot quicker. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of climbs over the years and then by like year 10 or something. It's utopia. It's, yeah, everything's <laughs> fine. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. the Mediterranean in Scotland. <laughs> okay, so in your expert, both of you expert opinions, do you think MUP will be implemented by 2018 in Scotland and ever in the UK? Yes. Totally. <laughs> yeah? Yeah? All right. So we're quite uh, positive for the end of the podcast that it will be implemented in Scotland by 2018. Sorry, Swar, but MUP's coming. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it would be interesting. It's one of, the, one of the things that doesn't so much... I think in, in academia, or sorry, in universities and research settings, people do a lot of studies to find out the effects of something after it's happened. Mm. But in the media, you get um, a massive storm of publicity prior to MUP and things like that. And then, you know, the Daily Mail or the Guardian or the Telegraph or whoever rarely run a two years on from minimum unit pricing has this worked mm. because they're just usually outraged at something, something else whatever's in, in the limelight. And I think, I think that would be, it would be useful for people to have that kind of review. Mm. Yeah, it, and I think mm. the awareness is definitely there within like, the research community that, okay, mm. if minimum unit pricing is implemented in Scotland, that's a really good opportunity to look at how it works um, over what time period and see what happens and see what can be learned from that for England, for elsewhere. Mm. I've not read anything where there's been a minimum price implemented and it's been evaluated and it hasn't done anything. Does that answer your question now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it was a broad question. Give it a go. Yeah, give it a go. Why not? Mm. So that was another episode of What's the Crack? Thanks for listening. We've learned about minimum unit pricing, the effectiveness, what all the scandal is in the media and why, it's going, why it hasn't been implemented for about five to six years. Um, I've been Elle Wadsworth. We've had Rob Calder. Hello, goodbye. And say be bye for this. Hello, goodbye. <laughs> and as always, you can contact us on Twitter at WhatTheCrackPod. Um, or if you want to ask any questions, any suggestions of themes, or to tell us that we're wrong, um, we've got the hashtag CrackPodIdea. Um, next uh, episode, we will be looking at human enhancement drugs. So, modafinil and uh, microdosing, etc. So, uh, please subscribe on iTunes, listen on Acast. Thanks very much. See you next time. Bye. today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.